Welcome to the War Podcast. Welcome to the War Podcast. Today we have Murtaza Mohammadi with us. Murtaza is a consummate professional who's been working in Afghanistan for over 14 years in international development and humanitarian aid. He holds an undergraduate degree in business and legal studies from the American University of Afghanistan. And he's currently pursuing a postgraduate degree in international relations and business diplomacy at the University of Dusto in Spain. His ultimate aspiration is to contribute towards building a peaceful Afghanistan where individuals from all walks of life can coexist and thrive in harmony. Welcome to the War Podcast, Murtaza. Thank you, Mr. Kamufi. So we are keeping things very informal here. We just chat, we just talk about things, and maybe we can start with you telling us and our listeners about yourself. Tell us a bit more. Who is Murtaza Mahmadi? Uh, Murtaza is, is, uh, is a person who, who was looking for his identity when he was, uh, growing up in, in a country as a refugee in Iran. I mean, with all the challenges you, you face in a, in another country that doesn't really give you the sense that you're living like anyone else as equal as others. You have that struggle to find yourself. I mean, we had, we have, we had been living in Iran for so many years. I mean, I faced a lot of challenges in terms of education, in terms of work. It was one day that uh, I was telling my father that enough is enough. Let me go back. Let me go back to Afghanistan. That's where we belong to. We don't belong here at least. I mean, let's find a place and see if we can connect to, if we can go back to a country that you came from. And we can settle there and we can call it home. I mean, despite despite a lot of disagreements, especially from my, my parents at that time, back in 2007 and 2008, I mean, nobody really uh, agreed with what I decided to do. I went back to Afghanistan without knowing anybody. Just a small backpack, a little bit of money, let's, let's say for a couple of, I don't know, months of expenses. Started my journey, went back to Afghanistan. And from the very beginning crossing the border as a returnee, I, I felt like I found myself. And it was the time I could envision a future and I could define a goal for myself, find a purpose in my life. And my journey began from there, back to Herat for a few days and then Kabul. And then I stayed in Kabul until August 2021. And Kabul became my home. It, uh, I still have it in Google Maps as home. When I zoom out, I see a <laughs> tiny flag in Kabul. It's home. And, uh, well, I mean, sometimes it's difficult. You, you think you've lost it. You don't, you sometimes think that, okay, I was like forced out of that place. Does it belong to me? Can I say that? Yes, Kabul is mine. But I mean, these are the things that we don't have to give up. We have to keep, we have to fight for it. And at the end of the day, when you think a lot, you realize that, no, I mean, there is a reason. It doesn't matter how much you hate something because of a series of issues or incidents that that has happened there. You think, and when you get emotional thinking about that place, that's, that's, the, that's the place you can call home. And uh, for now, I call myself a nomad, homeless, an immigrant, expat. Whatever people call depends on, on where you're coming from. Let's say if I was from, if I don't know if I was from another European country, maybe I would have been an expat here. I'm now an immigrant. But at the time being a student, at least it's good that I have that student residence permit in Spain, so I'm a student. <laughs> what do you miss most about home? Uh, to be honest, I mean, it was a chaotic, like active uh, city. Kabul was like, you get out of your home, you see, uh, I don't know, you see people who are super different from one another. In this neighborhood, some people are in a mosque, praying, doing their worships. 
some other people are doing some, I don't know, brainstorming and uh, thinking about how to bring change in the society. You see another group of boys and girls who are like drinking their tea, their coffee. They don't think about anything. They just want to relax and enjoy the moment. And you see a crazy party going on in another part of the city. All like that mix going together at the same time. I mean, we knew that existed. We knew there were clashes between these groups of like people with different mindsets but we were living together i mean we knew that exists but we didn't really have any any clash as such amongst these people that chaotic life that active like having that diversity of mindsets and ideologies was something that i really missed oh that's understandable just to add something to that I mean you love a place you miss a place sometimes you don't look for reasons I just miss it I just love it I feel like that that was my home I mean that's the only thing you don't really look for a reason for that and I don't know sometimes it's difficult to explain why you miss that place yeah I it is difficult to be without a home um, yeah. I think you and I are part of a group, a large group of people around the world who actually understand that. Um, speaking of that, of home, how long were you in Afghanistan? Uh, I went back to Afghanistan in 2008, if I remember exactly. I mean, at that time, I wasn't really thinking about, okay, it's going to be a very memorable day for me to remember. It was just a journey and I was trying to enjoy it. And the last time I was in Kabul was end of August 2021. And it was very interesting. It was exactly today that somebody asked me. We had like one of the last classes before the holidays. And everybody's, yeah, yeah, we're going back home. We're going on vacation, back, going back home. And uh, we had a Canadian classmate. Oh, yeah. How long have you been? Where are you from? From Afghanistan. How long have you been not, not have been home? I said, well, I mean, since I left, I've never gone back, and I don't think I would be able to go back anytime soon. And it's like, why not? Oh, so, so many people don't know what we have gone through or what has happened in Afghanistan. And they just know it's a country somewhere, and we saw it like in the news, we heard about it in the news, but so many people still don't know what happened during August 2021 or before that. So it's like for them, your country just go back and there is a regime change or something like that and it's easy but anyway i mean it's like for them it's very strange that oh somebody leaves a place that they call home and uh, for, for such a long time they don't pay regular visits to their home mm-hmm. yeah i mean uh during during that time since 2008 to 2021 basically that's how many years like 14 15 years 13 years mm, 13 years were you there on August 15th? Yeah, I was there. I went Tell- back to Kabul a day before that. <laughs> Tell me about that day. Tell me your experiences. What was it like? Tell me about that day. Uh, let me tell you a day before that. Start from a day before that. Uh, I had like moved my family, especially with the targeted killings. I could not imagine a day like that would happen in Afghanistan. I taken my family, my my wife and daughter to Tashkent. Let's stay here for a bit. Tashkent seems to be a good place, and that's the only place we can secure secure a temporary visa. Mm-hmm. Let's settle there. I'll go back and forth, and we'll see what happens in the next few months. And I was only and mostly worried about these uh, IEDs, roadside bombs, especially in the last month that my daughter was there taking her to the kindergarten in the morning. I mean, it happened to me that two bombs went off. One went off and one one time I saw the uh, security forces blocking the area, trying to uh, to find it. I mean, there was something suspicious apparently going on. Mm-hmm. It was a moment and I thought that, okay, I mean, my daughter deserves a better life, have to be in a safe place until we know what, what, what's going to happen with the peace deal. And uh, anyway, I was traveling back and forth to Tashkent. I had missions. Uh, and for the past, like, two months, in July and August, I was traveling. One day in Kabul, two weeks out. One day in Kabul, two weeks out. 
And then it was the time for me to go back to Kabul on August 14th. In the morning, I went to the airport in Tashkent. And some people called me, oh, don't be stupid. Don't go back. It's not, it's not, it's not normal. I mean, we had to go back. I mean, I was even thinking of going back with my family, but for the la- at the last minute, we canceled that trip. And I went alone. There was a plane with a capacity of like 300 passengers come there. The guy at the counter, I asked him, I mean, are so many people going back to Kabul? He said, why are you asking? I'm just curious to see if people are going back. And I was shocked when I went to the plane and I, and I, and I saw in a huge plane, there were only seven or eight passengers. <laughs> and I was one of those people who was, who, so, I mean, only one woman, I mean, a couple and other like businessmen traveling back and coming back, bringing their usual stuff. And they seem to be okay with that. And, uh, well, I had to also financially survive. So I came back to see if I can sell a car, if I can withdraw some money. The plane landed, opened my Facebook, and everybody's talking about like the crisis at the banks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Check the box. That's done. <laughs> you can't do anything about that. And, Unlike, uh, I mean, uh, you, you know, whenever you travel from the airport to the city, you always saw security checkpoints. And that mm-hmm. security checkpoint, despite making a huge traffic jam, always gave me some, some, I don't know, a sense of security and safety. But this time, I didn't see a single police officer all the way from the airport to Darlaman. When I got home, met a friend, and I could feel the fear in everybody's like face. Everybody was so scared about what's going to happen tomorrow. Anyway, I mean, trying to go to bed, people are texting me. Oh, the Taliban are capturing this province. Oh, they're getting very close. Can you leave the country? I just arrived. I mean, midnight in Kabul. How do you want to leave? Come on, guys. I mean, let me take some sleep. And honestly, at that night, it wasn't because of the fear. It was because of, like, you feel desperate. You feel, like, disappointed. You lose your hope. You, I mean, you never, you could never imagine, and you didn't want to imagine that day. But it was only around four or five in the morning that uh, I slept, and six thirty I woke up again with a message that somebody, with a WhatsApp message that somebody had forwarded that seemed to be from somebody from the U.S. embassy saying that, "Oh, guys, the deal is made. They are uh, coming over, and they will take the government from." I don't know, it's like a handover. It was like something like that, but it was saying that the deal is made and they're coming. That's it. Mm-hmm. That was like the everything in the message. And I woke up as usual, went, grabbed my coffee, drove my car throughout the city to see if I can buy a ticket out of Kabul, which seemed to be a very stupid idea to paying a lot of money and then see the airport shut down and you can't even... <laughs> <laughs> take a bus to go to the airport. <laughs> but looking around the city, people started calling me. Oh, by the way, I mean, the first thing I did in the morning was to get my second dose of <laughs> Corona vaccine, COVID vaccine. And it was a long time. I was looking for the second shot of uh, AstraZeneca. I couldn't find it anywhere. I thought, okay, I mean, at least COVID-19 is not going to kill me. That, wow. That's what I know. Debatable, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I went to Stiglal Hospital in uh, uh, along Darlaman Road, and there were two female nurses, young girls, and they were like, we don't care who is going to rule over this country as long as they allow us to work. And, I mean, I was speechless. I mean, you know that, okay, I mean, it's like 20 years life have, have been like this. You've been working here. Who's going to, like, take your job but at the same time you know if there is any radical change they're not going to be able to leave their houses tomorrow look at all men even who have been like having an ordinary job they used to travel all the way in Afghanistan and think that oh I'm just a shopkeeper who is gonna like hurt me but everybody's closing their shops everybody's going to their homes you see all the beauty salons painting their walls trying to hide the faces of those pictures especially women and uh I was uh, I was trying to like keep my morale high and telling guys, hey guys, I mean they're not here yet. Why are you doing that? I mean, why are you welcoming them by these acts? Don't be scared. I mean, we are like 30 million people. 
and there are like less than 100,000 people coming and not all of them are coming to Kabul. It's like a country that they have to control. Why are you welcoming them like that? And it really bothered me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I went back home at noon, locked the rooms, uh, locked, locked the house inside the apartment and I already started going crazy because there is like an ambiguity. It's unknown. You don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of hours. You don't know if shops are going to open and if you can at least buy something to eat. I mean, you're just there sitting there not knowing anything. Suddenly everything becomes so quiet. Everybody's at home and it becomes like a ghost city. I called a few friends. I honestly didn't feel safe at home, especially with the, with all the stress that I was going through. Called a friend, went out for a taxi that usually you pay like two or three dollars, 200 Afghanis, all the way from Darulam and Sushar now. They ask for like $50, $100, and then they, they get taxi drivers. Oh no, I'm not gonna waste my life. I'm not gonna go there. And I was like very crazy. I took my backpack, walked all the way to a friend's house. And I'm glad I did that because in the next two weeks that I was staying with them in Sharanau, at least that gave me some, at least I had some companies. I had some people to talk to. We had some people to just share our fear, our, I don't know, our disappointment. I wasn't alone, but it was stressful. In Sharanau, close to, uh, I don't know, close to the attorney general's office. And it was one of the first places that they came and captured. And you could hear the celebratory firings overnight. And I could see the bullets falling, falling down like mm-hmm. rain. And I mean, we had celebratory firings before. That's scary, yes. Especially if you're like with kids, kids are gonna get scared. You're gonna see the bullets can kill somebody. But that time I had a different feeling. You knew that, okay, those who are happy who are doing that celebratory fighting, they're like your biggest enemies. You don't like them. You hate them. But you can't, you can't just do anything. You want to go out and talk to them? What, what, what you can do? I mean, nothing. Basically nothing. So basically I imprisoned myself there. I didn't leave the house until I had somebody who one day took me out. Let's go grab a coffee. It's open. There's not so many people there. So I mean, you do it. You try to go out and face it once you face it you know okay it's all of us together in this situation whatever happens to to me whatever happens to him it's all of us together so in in general i mean uh that was my experience i mean it was it was just more about feelings than doing anything else you know smoking Mm. two three packs of cigarettes a day and staying wake until very late at night like you wake up in the morning until noon and then because your body needs some sleep and at some point you fall asleep but it's just like becoming an unhealthy like way of life that if it continues if i was in kabul like now i don't think i would have had the if i was in kabul and i was still alive i would have still thought that i would be smoking a couple of boxes of cigarettes per day trying to deal with the stress, trying to cope with the situation. Yeah. Where was your family at this time? Were they in Kabul with you? Uh, no, they were in, uh, they were in Tashkent. I, I, you know that, I mean, they had moved to Tashkent in June 2021. I mean, three months before that. But it wasn't only about my wife and daughter. I mean, my daughter, she knew from, especially just a week before that, we watched the news. It was like for all of us, and you can't hide your emotions in front of the kid, and they will they will know it. And yep. she was like, sometimes, Daddy, come on. I mean, you haven't lost anybody in your life. Who's died? I mean, if you're crying in a way that you feel that I feel that you've lost somebody, we are all together. I mean, a child tries to comfort you, and she 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 knew that. She knew, and she still knows that. Oh, I mean, she still knows about the Taliban. She's still like has the fear about going back home. We can't still go back and see the old pictures that we have on our phones because she would immediately get emotional and she would start, oh, I hope one day Taliban will leave and we could go back back home. She's still like, I mean, for, for, for my daughter, that's home. And that was like the biggest uh, or the most difficult challenge to, to overcome. 
because <clears throat> when I grew up as a refugee and I knew what it is like being a refugee, I mean, there is a difference when you grow up as a refugee in a neighboring country like Iran or Pakistan or in Europe. That's a, that's a, that's a lot of difference, but you're still a refugee. Or you're still traveling, you're homeless, you, you feel you've lost something. I didn't want that to happen to my daughter. When I went back to Afghanistan, I was like, okay, here I am, I'm married, I have a child now, and she's going to grow up in this country. Maybe when she grows up, she goes out to get some education, come back, but that's going to be her life here. I don't know, I don't know it's like being selfish, or I, I wasn't supposed to decide for her. Who knows what's good or bad, but I didn't want her to be forced, like, I mean, to be displaced by force, to be taken out of her, her home by force. But I mean, that was the biggest, pro- probably, emotional uh, damage that uh, I felt at that moment. But they were there. I mean, we had, like, every few minutes chatting, talking, calling on the phone. I had my parents in Iran. I mean, everybody was so worried. They, they didn't know what's going to happen. Nobody knew what, what's happening. If you could tell Sarina what happened, if she was older and she understood how things work better, what would you tell her we lost? Uh, probably the same thing that I've told her. I mean, I haven't like told her that we've lost home, but uh, I mean, this age, like six years old child, I've told her that, yes, I mean, we're temporarily out of the country. One day we go back, but from the news that we followed, she knows. She knows now a lot of things that uh, I didn't expect. But yeah, I mean, daddy, Taliban will go, Taliban will go. They're like monsters that are killing people, torturing people. She understands that. And if she was like, I don't know, 10, 15 years old, it would have been more or less the same. Because, I mean, sometimes you think that... Uh, six, five years old child doesn't really get those things, but they they do it. They have their own thoughts. Sometimes they don't even share it. They think, they process those thoughts and they come up with a scenario. We sometimes undermine that, underestimate that. We don't think that, okay, I mean, he's or she is a child and they're not going to care, but they do care. Has it, has it registered to you yet, really, that we don't have a home anymore. It's gone. Uh, yeah, I, I I have that feeling uh, from day one that it's over. I mean, despite some people started like, no, I mean, you're going to have your place. I mean, it's like going to be the city. But I felt I lost it because when you're talking about home, it's not just a building. I mean, for me, I mean, that building meant a lot because that's what I started after so many years of living from in one house as a uh, renting apartments in different places. That was the first home that we owned, and we did it ourselves. So my, I mean, my wife was studying, studying, studied architect, and she came up with a plan. We constructed that, and my daughter was born in that house, and uh, she grew up there. <clears throat> All those. Uh, Sorry. No, that's all good. I all I understand. It's it really doesn't register in the beginning that you've lost everything. It took me eighteen months. And for eighteen months I couldn't feel anything. I didn't let myself feel anything because I kept telling myself that I will go back. That it's all a bad dream, that we haven't lost everything. We haven't worked for all of our lives to build a life and then to just lose it like this. So I understand. It's it's I got that something. feeling immediately. I mean first about like the houses like yes, I mean I saw her being born there, starting her first few words and talking and walking. I mean she grew up in that tiny apartment there. And uh, the reason I got that feeling from day one was that we had 20 years and if we couldn't finish this, we couldn't close this chapter in 20 years, 
now that they are in power, now that they've taken everything, it's not going to be in my lifetime. It's not going to be over like in another 20, 40 years. I don't know. I mean, it's just emotional, immediate thoughts that you get at that time. Maybe now you can think better. You can analyze the situation. But it's not about our thoughts. It's not about our analysis. It's about reality. What's going to happen to bring about a sudden change? Nothing. I mean, a sudden change is is not a good change. But can we expect that there will be gradual changes? What's the gradual change like? I mean, you see the Taliban being reformed. Is that something we would like to see? Well, I mean, imagine they start being, I don't know, reforming themselves. They start being like having softer policies. But again, I mean, those people who have been killing our people, our friends, I mean, our like workmates, for 20 years, for 15, 20 years, can you just let that happen? I mean, we let, we allowed that happen once when in 2001 the government was formed. Uh, formed. Well, I was a child. I mean, I had no idea what's happening. I had no idea about the civil war. I knew people are fighting, but I didn't know who is fighting against who. But those same people came back to power. And they were criminals. They were warlords. But there was no justice, and we can't just let that happen again. I mean, just imagine Haqqanis were like the most powerful people in the country. I always, I, I can, if if only I remember one thing, just remember the, the truck bomb in Vazir Akbar Khan in front of mm-hmm. the German embassy. I mean, we had more cruel like attacks, like the schools, all the schools that in our neighborhood, all the buses that were blowing up and children and civilians were killed. But on that single attack, because I, I was personally very close to that, and I felt the shockwave. And at the same time, it was huge. The magnitude of that, it was so big that, uh, I don't know, it was very shocking. And you could see the video and you could just imagine, this is the day I go on a daily basis. And imagine you're there at that time and you disappear. Nobody will even know what happened to you? Where did you disappear? They're not gonna find a single, single part of your body. I mean, not that it's important for me after death. I don't really care, but that's kind of an, a strange way of dying. And imagine, I don't know, we had around two hundred people dying in that incident, mm-hmm. in that only single attack. That's only one of them, and we know who is the mastermind. We know who planned it. How can we forgive that? I remember some people being super excited on, on the day that the Taliban came. Oh, yeah, I mean, they have announced a general amnesty. What amnesty? Who is going to forgive? Who is going to forgive us? Why they're they're thinking that they can forgive us? I mean, why do you allow yourself to think that you're going to forgive us? What about people to forgive you? It's like totally the opposite. I mean, the criminal comes and, like, takes you to a court, okay, and general amnesty. Mm-hmm. It didn't make. I mean, it's very ridiculous. But you cannot, you cannot argue. I mean, you cannot say anything. It's so stupid that it leaves no room for argument. But you just feel like numb. Okay, what am I supposed to do? And do you remember that footage at the airport? Yep. I mean, we, yes. we know. We know as as local people, we know the reality. We know why some people were at the airport. We know how some people were doing things. But, but. We don't forget that everybody was so desperate to to leave the country. Some people were like thinking more logical. They hadn't lost their sense of like they they were still thinking before doing anything. Some people rushed to the airport with their families, with their kids. But you know that okay, that's a huge risk to go to the airport at the moment. Either passing through the checkpoints, explosions, etc. And if you can get to somewhere to to leave, but I mean. We had that disappointment as well. We were desperately looking for some way to leave from Kabul and then to see. I had like was looking for different options, assessing different options every now and then, trying to contact friends, trying to contact your colleagues to see if you mm-hmm. can find a way. But some people, I mean, make it that day. And and on that day, it was like a general feeling. Everybody wanted to leave that country. And it's more or less the same. People are there. Those people who are there, okay, they have to find the proper way to leave the country now. Now that they have 
they're very well established and they have full control of everything. You can't, I mean, that window of opportunity for two weeks at the airport was the only chance for people to to leave immediately. If you don't have the documents, if you don't have the travel document, if you don't, I don't know, one way or another, but without being identified, so many people, like yourself, I mean, how did you, like, were in hiding, imagine for all the media attention that you have removed this part, if you like, but I mean, no, no, I'm last... keeping this part. No, I remember. I was, I remember us texting. I remember us. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those I mean, days. No, no, even before that, even before that, I mean, I as a friend, I was telling you that the situation doesn't look normal. And you said, no, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> we're going to bring the force. I'm working with the families of uh, the soldiers who've lost their lives. I mean, we're going to give them support. And you were a media. You were a media, very outspoken. Not that I could see one day, but I was really feeling worried at that time. That I mean, if somebody is working in in a position like that, and they have they're like talking in front of the media, they have a lot of connections, they have a lot of networks, and you see, I mean, you see a lot of people who are mm-hmm. like left back in the country. We have generals, we have colonels. I don't blame every one of them. Some of them, out of no choice, if it's about your life. Why don't you want to go there? I mean, it's easy for us from outside. Oh, you see these generals? They all like were members of, they had ties, they had connections with the Taliban. No, it's not, it's not fair. It's not like that. Imagine somebody who has no option to leave the country. He and his family are there. I mean, they have to. If they're asked to come and sit here, they would do it. What's more, uh, what is like worth more than their lives? I mean, they have to save, save themselves. But I mean, for somebody like you and me, I mean, for for many people like us, it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, to be there, we didn't have the means to protect ourselves. Especially, no. I mean, you you could see the the rise of like targeted killings. If any of them could have been. Any oh, they they are still after me. They have confiscated my father's house, asking for me to come and take the house so that they could give the house back. They are still looking for me. They are still looking for a lot of my colleagues. But at the same time, a lot of my colleagues have decided to join them and to work them. Some because they believe in their ideology. Some because, see, nothing is ever black and white in Afghanistan. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of good people who are still working in the ANDSF for the one very simple reason, because they have no other choice. Maybe I'm wrong, but to me, that is the worst thing that could happen to you, is not having a choice. Being stuck in a place where you cannot get out. I think they have it a lot worse than us. But that's just my opinion. And it's it's really hard to judge people right now in Afghanistan, because a lot of them have no choice. They cannot get out. They cannot go out. It's easy for us sitting outside of Afghanistan, you know, to give verdicts, give yeah. judgment. It's easy. We're not there. We don't know what's happening. And you and I know Taliban. We know what they are, what they're capable of. We remember the bombings, the attacks, the way they killed thousands and thousands of innocent, not just military personnel, but also civilians. And it's all, it's all there. I haven't forgotten, and I'm sure you haven't forgotten either. But that's why we are having these discussions, so that we remember. We remember what happened and how it made us live. Now, speaking of living, what are the plans for you? The, the question is, now what? Do you want to, what are, you, what are your life goals, so to speak? Uh, you know what? There is something that somebody might, See from might see from outside and looking at you. Okay, I mean you have a good life. I mean you're studying your master's. This is apparently what you were looking for. I mean I was looking for continuing my education. At the same time, I really love love the work. I mean there was a cost of opportunity cost. Should I give this up, go out, do it, come back? But the thing is that now I mean well doing this master program, I do have plans for personal growth. But sometimes you think okay. If I'm going to get this master, probably five years ago, I was planning to do a similar more or less master that you could use somewhere 
back in the country working with international i mean to be honest i mean i don't want to be like somebody trying to show that yes i was working for the betterment of for improvement of life in afghanistan i mean that's a big lie everybody worked to have a job mm-hmm. in a country like afghanistan you need a job everywhere you go but you get that job satisfaction when you have a purpose when you think through your job you achieve something we had that discussion before that okay you can either be within the government and try to do something positive or you can come from outside work with the government and do something positive and i was i was always i mean uh had this mindset that I'm honesty first if you want to do something i mean forget about everything else be honest in your work at least i mean that that's the best i could do as an individual i mean i don't i never compared myself with others he or she is doing something so i have to do this way or not i mean it was me and myself and that's it yeah but yeah i mean now it's a very complex situation you think of personal growth at the same time you think okay i mean well i mean you're going to be working as an expat some people may call you immigrant <laughs> so you you'll never be called expat but i mean that was never a life i imagined working just for the sake of working outside in outside your country to to afford life but i mean that's good i mean you personally grow but it takes time for us to finish it and see if we can find another purpose if we can find another goal okay this is where i'm heading to this is what i'm going to do i mean i know this education this work opportunities you could do there is a difference in in the past you could directly utilize your knowledge your skills in your work and try to leave an impact in in the society you live in maybe now you work you have an income you personally grow and beside that not integrated within your job or within your uh with your studies you can become somebody that i don't know create some some impact i'm thinking of everybody like posting on social media and i i don't really do it a lot especially on twitter i don't really do that a lot because that gives you a sense of like false feeling you feel that okay i mean i've written a very like strong criticism towards these guys or i've advocated enough for 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 the taliban to open girls school i tweeted 100 times i used the hashtag stuff as origin so i threw like 1000 times and what's the outcome of that well i mean i don't i don't say it's useless but i as an individual feel that okay this is like something very temporary you feel like relieved and it like consumes your energy and you can't really find it i don't know a sustainable way of doing things mm-hmm. and that's what i'm trying to find i mean i do the master i don't know whether i would start like writing not a social media post maybe doing some proper research on the fundamental issues that we're facing maybe you can i don't know opeds i mean you write for if i start get back to writing if you start writing something that is published somewhere that has a lot of readers maybe you can not bring a change but you may cause you may trigger in some people's mind that okay let's think differently let's not make everything black and white we as individuals who especially those who focus on social media especially uh, I, again I mean every single word I say you say it's going to be judged by some people some people say oh no I mean this is the way he thinks he's blaming us or he's blaming others he's blaming everybody posting on social media it's totally fine it's totally it has its impact a collective movement like that at least you bring uh, I don't know you take uh, media attention on a special on a special topic but uh, I I don't know I mean I think we have to do something fundamental and can I doing, can I make finding what to do is going to be a challenge can I make an observation here so correct me if I'm wrong but when I asked that question and you answered me what I understood from your question is you're subconsciously giving me a very temporary answer my question was about life goals but what you gave me was something that you would be doing in the next 3 to 5 years or even you know 10 years 
The reason I'm saying this is because, is it, did you answer it because subconsciously you're still hoping that the situation we are in is temporary and that we would go back home? Not because it's temporary, uh, but because, I mean, what else am I going to do? It's not that you don't have any choice, but okay, this is your place. This is your country. I mean, the fight may go on. This, like, uh, this battle, this argument may goes on and on until we are not here anymore. It goes back to the next generation. But the change has to begin somewhere. I mean, so, for our so, children, one day, yeah. So what? Do you, do you think you, we are going to get a chance to go back in our lifetimes? Are you planning on it? What are your thoughts? Do you dream of going back? Do you think it's I possible? Do. I do. Not that I daydream overnight, so I sleep, I wake up, oh, I, I thought I was in Kabul. I mean, yes, I do. I do think think about that a lot. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, not at this moment, but I don't know. You never know. I mean, with all the changes that happened, it wasn't overnight, these changes in August 2021. It happened throughout like time. It took like one or two years from the beginning of the negotiations. But we never know. I mean, more changes could happen and not not maybe as sudden sudden changes that it was last time but afghanistan has always seen i mean since i was born we had the civil war we had the taliban i don't know 1988 i was even before the civil war and then we had the civil war we had one taliban regime we had them two presidents each two terms so I mean, we had we we saw the transition of power in a democratic, so-called democratic government. That was good. That was like from the very beginning, uh, a model that was adapted in Afghanistan. But I mean, we've seen a lot of changes, and now I'm only 35. Why not to expect more changes like this? Well, definitely, one constant thing always is change. So we can always and be expecting change. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, the political dynamics of Afghanistan is very strange. I mean. The enemies today are strong allies tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Who knows? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? And off the record, what we were just talking about a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. that what happened that two groups of people over a year, there's one voice against the Taliban. Now they become each other's enemy. Yep. Very short-term memory. As a concluding question, if how do you see your life if you hadn't gone back to Afghanistan in 2008? If I hadn't gone back? Yep. Uh, I was probably working in a shoemaking factory. Mm-hmm. Most probably because uh, I mean, that's what everybody did in our family. Uh, I remember one day uh, my brother I mean, had a car and I was sitting in his car driving and I was thinking, okay, I mean, I'm doing like... It's called like you're not skilled enough to take your own like complete work and you're like just an assistant. You're a daily work, uh, daily work, daily wage worker. And I was counting if I earn this much money, if I spend it, imagining I'm at this age with all these needs that I have the support from my family, from father, maybe in 50 years I could afford buying a car if the price of the car remains the same. <laughs> And that was, I mean, it was all those thoughts that made me, okay, what's going to be my future like here in Iran? Mm -hmm. I mean, well, can you buy a SIM card? Very difficult. I mean, Afghans have a SIM card, but you can't just, you couldn't, for for at least for those years, you couldn't buy a SIM card. I mean, after uh, mobile phones arrived uh, to the the country. But looking at, uh, I don't know, other, other issues like going to school. Every single year, my father had to come to school. Oh, yeah, but I mean, he's he's like an excellent student, but he's, look at his average. Oh, no, but we have this uh, order from the Ministry of Education that you have to wait until we give the, we give the confirmation to uh, allow you to enroll Afghan students at schools. It was like one year out of school, one year back to school again. Do you want to go to university? I was thinking of doing some uh, I mean, pursuing my education. I didn't. I I wanted to to be different. I, I don't want to go into this business 
family mm-hmm. business of being like I mean it's like in general Afghans are three categories and the two of them are really huge they're either working in tailor shops or they're like in shoemaking business or they're like construction workers understood this is the the biggest one understood But most of them are on like you don't require a lot of skills to do that and I was thinking okay I mean my brothers dropped out of school they got their high school diploma they didn't continue he didn't continue she didn't continue and not only in my like family in, in our extended relatives we were like that and I was hoping okay finish my high school I go straight to university and it was like no Afghans this year are not allowed to go to university and that made me okay father I have to go back and the only reason I went back was to go to Kabul either I don't know I always I started watching uh getting some we had those uh videotapes VHS tapes before that that we used to get from Afghanistan about the situation here it was mostly about the civil war and then later on we got CDs after after like 2005 2006 I started getting some CDs from Afghanistan oh there is a CD that talks about that talks to university students in Kabul And it was the first time I saw videos of Kabul University. I thought, well, one day I would go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know how difficult it is to to enter university, but I came back. I mean, every day I was spending like my time at the Ministry of Education. Oh, are there going to be like scholarships advertised here? Looking online, and uh, I decided to enroll in a few private universities, and then I I got a job and I went to the American University. But my life would have been. super different i would have been in iran now if i hadn't moved out of the country if i hadn't mm-hmm. gone back to afghanistan and uh, i would have like killed myself killed my dreams mentally i mean you don't you don't have any any meaning in life you're just like waking up in the morning well you could have earned a lot of money but that was never a type of life that i like i was never looking for material I was never looking for I mean I wanted to change my mind to grow mentally to see what's going on out there what's going on inside there in the country right right um my last question for today and I want you if you could please give me the answer in one word the question is what was the one reason that you and your family and all these other Afghans were forced to go to Iran and to work very shit jobs and to do get shit pay and live shit lives uh, and you know not be able to buy sim cards or go to university or gain citizenship what was the one reason for that uh, that's very obvious I mean, uh, first to correct something before i get to that answer i mean uh, well i mean from outside when you see other like standards of living in other countries you call like shit life there I and mean, some people may get offended okay now I'm, i'm living a good life and we like it and mm-hmm. there's so many people like that who like that i mean they haven't moved on maybe oh yeah it's like it's a country that's like neighboring it, it speaks the same language so we have a lot of uh like uh we have less challenges here mm-hmm. and some people really like it but yeah i mean the the main reason that my father decided to leave Afghanistan for the first time and I really I'm really grateful for what he did otherwise I would have been in uh, probably having a few sheep and cows or <laughs> working on his farm somewhere in the central highlands but what made all this miseries in the I mean for, for the people and is it still taking victims war the ongoing war for so many years for decades of war it was more than a war but but, but it was war, war that war, but it yeah. some, some side yeah. notes to explain I, I, again i mean i'm saying i mean uh, it's very unfortunate that's how we are in in afghanistan and yeah. uh, no matter if you're talking in private talking in public or talking about anything it's very difficult sometimes for you to express your opinion to think out loud you mm. would be easily judged you would be immediately judged okay i mean they're going to be like under not for us but you see those people who have lots of followers or who are like have a say as soon as they say one word 
there's going to be a lot of attacks and a group of people are going to start like praising them. And I hope one day, one day, that would be really my, my inspiration that we leave, I mean, being collective society, it has its own beauties. I miss my family. I miss my father. I miss my mother. I miss my friends. These are all the reasons because we have been a collective society. The reason we are still in touch after yeah. many years. I mean, after uh, our like we separated our path long ago when you decided to leave where we work together, but we have been still in touch. There are so many people like you and I that we are still in touch with, and that's the beauty of being like not being having that culture. But I hope one day we learn to be less like that in the negative way. Stop, stop making others do and believe as I do. Mm. Let him say this. Let him express his opinion. Let's just let him practice his cultural practices, values, religion, or talk his language. Let them do that. Why is it going to harm me? I mean, and the same case, I mean, let me be my own. Let me be me. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not causing any harm to anybody. But yeah, I mean, people feel like threatened. Oh, he's like invading a Western ideology, a different ideology, a different mindset. It's going to influence us. It's going to influence our children. But we yeah. always, I mean, Afghans use that, feel that threat. But I hope we'll see one day that we'll be like into our business. <laughs> I, I am hoping for that day to come in our lifetimes. But this... Go, go, go. But no, definitely, I say it from the bottom of my my heart that it's been eye opening. You know, it's been. I am honored and grateful for you to be here to share with us your Thank thoughts, you. and I'm sure this, these, you know, stories, the history that we lived and remembered, they will live on. And we will remember yeah. them. You know, the thing is that, I mean, it's uh, when you have these bitter memories, I mean, the thing is that when you look back for the past 10, 15 years, the thing is that when you, you only remember the highlights, and the highlights have been always the most painful ones for us. And that's very difficult to go back and start, like, looking at it from how it happened and why it happened. Uh, well, I mean, there are beauties, there are beautiful moments in, throughout these years, but in general, it's all about, uh, at least, I mean, the, the only positive probably thing you can get out of it is like never give up and hope for a better future.